Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. So today we will continue our series. And what book are we in today? Joshua. So how many of you? I'm not going to have you raise your hand just in case, just in case. I don't want to put, put you on the spot, but did your homework to read the book of Joshua or at least one verse of the book of Joshua, at least one verse, at least one little verse. I posted a verse last night on Facebook. So if you read that Facebook post at the very, or Instagram, at least you got one verse, but we hope that you ended up getting the entire Bible because it's an awesome, awesome book. So we know that this is the sixth book of the Bible. And someone passed away before this book is starting. Who passed away? Moses passed away. And who's the new leader? Joshua. So now we're just going to go over some of the main basic information about the book. Already there's going to be image behind me, and it's going to highlight the type of book. It's a history book. Let's see the image. Oh, right there. Beautiful. The type of book, it's a history book. The number of chapters is 24. Some of us were ecstatic. It was less than previous books we had to read, so 24. Date written, 1375 B.C., period covered, like 1400 to 1375 um, B.C. The author is Joshua, even though uh, it's not named in the book. All the experts believe it is Joshua that wrote it, but not just him. Someone else wrote in the book of Joshua as well, because Joshua ends up dying in the end of Joshua. So obviously he can't keep writing, like, you know, like if he passed away. Someone had to write the part, that chapter, you could say, of after he passed away. So there is another author, but we know obviously that God's the one that's the author through everyone he chooses. Key verses, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Now, obviously, there's a lot of key verses in the book of Joshua, and we will be going through some of them today. But that's one of the main ones for you to see the transition point where Joshua becomes the leader. The book of Joshua chronicles approximately 20 years of Joshua being the leader of uh, the Israelites. And then, of course, it talks about conquering the promised land. And we know that the promised land was promised to who in the beginning? Abraham. So this promise was given to Abraham 500 years earlier. So even with that, 
There's a principle that we could apply to our lives that sometimes God gives us promises or speaks to us. But when God sees us, he doesn't just see you as an individual. He sees generations past you. He sees your family. He sees generations. So when you see this, this is a fulfillment of what God said 500 years earlier. The divisions of the book of Joshua. Now, there's three main divisions. There's going to be image behind me as well highlighting that. From chapters 1 through 12, it talks about entering and conquering the promised land. Chapters 13 to 22, it's about the instructions and distribution of the promised land. And I know we've heard the phrase, divide and conquer. They did it uh, opposite. They conquered and divided. So there, that phrase was flipped there. And chapters 23 and 24 is Joshua's farewell address. So as you can tell, it also mirrors also how Deuteronomy ended. You know, like Moses had his farewell address. Here, Joshua had his farewell address. Now, if we're going to be honest, uh, 100%, Chapters 13 to 22, when they're talking about the instructions and distribution of the promised land, it could get a little like boring as you're reading it. You're going through it and it's like, man, it's talking about from here to here, from here to here. And to us, when you read it, you might not feel like it probably means as much. And I want you to put it in perspective. Imagine if the city of Elizabeth is the promised land. And we just conquered it. And we're telling you, let's say Joshua says, it's like, hey, you have this street from North Elizabeth to Elmora. Or you're in Bayway. You're, you're, you have this section of downtown. You have this section of Midtown. You have this section of Westminster. You have the, this section of Elmora. All of a sudden, you'll be paying attention. You'll be paying attention. be like, yo, from what street to what street do I have territory? Uh, like, you know, all, all overall for my tribe. All of a sudden, it'll make sense to you. And that's why when you read these chapters, it made a lot of sense to everyone reading it at that time. But you, if you read through the book, you might have gotten a little jammed as you're going through these chapters just because it's talking a lot about the distribution and also the boundaries of what people would receive. But that's overall the breakdown. Now, there's 658 verses in the book of Joshua. 658. How many? 658. Just want to make sure que no no están durmiendo, no no siestas while I'm speaking. All right, 658. And all of those verses could be boiled down to two things. All of them. All of them focus on conquering either something that has to do with the Israelites conquering. And the other one is remembering. So conquering and remembering. 658 verses, they all boil down to something that has to do with their process of conquering or remembering. Now, something that's interesting was that in, in, the, in, in Joshua, you'll see many times where all of a sudden, after there's a significant event that happened with God, a miracle, or pretty much just uh, like just overall, just a move of God, or even it could have been a consequence 
of, of sin. There's so many different things, but the bottom line is whenever there was a moment that God moved and it was obvious to them, all of a sudden stones were placed at that location. Stones were placed at that location. I know you all have your little stone there too. Stones were placed at that location because they wanted to make sure that they didn't forget that right here in this location, something big happened. God moved. And you'll see that as you read through the book of Joshua, these stones become a a monument, a memorial. And even to the point, it says to let your children know what these stones mean. So all of a sudden, it's like, like when you're walking through pretty much through the promised land and you see these stones and your kids are asking, how come these stones are here? There's a story to tell for each pile of stones that are placed. And I think that's a principle too for everyone, especially that are, if you're parents, to make sure that you remind your kids those moments where God moved in your life and in their lives, because life could easily make you forget what God has done. Now, before we take or talk about any of the battles that happened, there was this amazing encounter that happened with Joshua. It happened in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. And it's going to be behind me. It says this, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? He responds, neither. Now, in other translations, he says, no. That's, look up the King James. No. It's like, are you for us? Or again, that's a question. And the response is, no. I know Joshua's like, how could you respond? I, are you for us or against us? And you just said, no. Like, you know, it's like, you didn't answer my question. That's what Joshua is probably uh, um, th- thinking all of a sudden. He says, neither, he replied, but as commander. Imagine being there and hearing this. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals. For the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Does that sound familiar? Take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is holy. Obviously here he's encountering God. This is Joshua's burning bush moment with God. And obviously Joshua knew who he was, because he bowed down to the ground and said, you know, what message do you have? What do you want me to do? I'm willing to obey whatever you command me to do. I don't know if you've ever have had a burning bush moment. 
But I believe that if you haven't, you just missed it. Because God's always trying to speak to us, always trying to have those moments with us, always drawing us to this deep adventure. And sometimes we're so distracted with the things of the world that we miss burning bushes throughout our lives. I wonder how many burning bushes we have missed with God, pretty much his presence, trying to get our attention for us to realize who he is. For us to realize that we've been distracted, consumed with the worries of the world, chasing after things that are superficial, leaving us empty, but we still keep doing it. And the bush is burning, drawing us to fall to our knees and to surrender and ask, what do you have me to do, God? Whatever you command me to do, I will do. And that's pretty much the moment that Joshua encountered. And this happened. This happened before any of the battles took place. Something that's interesting, it's going to be a slide behind me. God didn't come to take sides, but to advance his kingdom. All of a sudden, he's there and Joshua is asking him a question, what side are you on? Because there's battles happening here. Here on earth, what side are you on? And it's like, no, I'm not here to be part of any of the things you're concerned about at this moment. I have a separate agenda, which is to advance the kingdom of God. And it's not about asking me to join whatever you want me to do. I'm going to ask you whether you want to join what I'm doing. So many times we come to God with what we want God to do, what we want God to bless, where we want God to be. God is looking at us and saying, I think you forgot who I am. I think you forgot who I am. It's not you asking me what side I'm going to pick, whether it's political side or issues of this world or drama of this world or things happening. No, no, no. You have to come before me on your knees to surrendering. And if God is truly the Lord of our our lives, whatever he commands, we do. We do. Because he is our God. God didn't come to take sides, but to advance his kingdom. There's many battles in the book of Joshua. So, so many cool battles to read. But I'm just going to highlight two of them pretty quickly, just for us to get an idea. One of them is the Battle of Jericho, and the other one is the uh, the Battle of Ai. Now, Jericho is chapter 6. Ai is chapter 7. So for you to know, chapter 6 and chapter 7. Jericho is something that's really cool. I was able to go to Israel when I was in my early 20s. You already know it was just about two or three years ago. Um, So when I went to Israel, something that was really cool, one of the stops was Jericho. I saw the ruins there in the ground. Like you could physically see what happened at that time with the story that I'm about to read. And then in addition to that, something that's really cool for you to know and keep in the back of your mind, eventually we will be doing a trip to Israel in our church. Uh, So that would be an amazing trip for all of us to be in. So the Battle of Jericho, we know that God instructed them to walk around the walls of the city one time, six days in a row, in complete silence. That makes sense, right? 
Like, but like all, all of a sudden when you think in your, in your mind, it's like in those type of instructions, it's like, why would I walk around the walls for six days in a row, one time during each day, in complete silence, the army, but then on the seventh day, on the seventh day, they got together and they marched around seven times. The priests were playing pretty much the trumpets. And all of a sudden, he said, when you hear a long blast, shout, and the walls are going to come down. So, I mean, when you think about it, though, imagine you're one of the soldiers there ready to battle. And you hear those instructions. It's it's like, hey, guys, right now, we're going to march around the city walls. But don't say anything. No text messages. Don't be checking your Instagram. No Facebook. Don't be doing none of those things. Put your phones away. Complete silence. Marching around just once. Then we go back and then come back and do it again for six days. Then on the seventh day, we'll do the same thing, but seven times. We'll play trumpets. But then when you hear the long blast of the trumpet, you're going to scream And we're pretty much trusting God. And the miracle happened where the walls came down and they took over the city. There's a slide that's going to be behind me now. It says this, true faith requires action even when it doesn't make sense. True faith requires action even when it doesn't make sense. This didn't make sense. Let's keep it real. It didn't make sense. The main thing is to obey what God says, even when it doesn't make sense. Some of us have failed to act in obedience with God because what God put in your heart, what he moved you to do, didn't make sense to you. Didn't make sense, let's say, to me in our own limited mind of trying to figure things out. And for any of us that like to be in control, that ends up being even a greater challenge because I can't put the pieces together to this. It doesn't make sense. I'm not going to do it. We have to obey. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You got to obey when God speaks and not when it's convenient to you, not when it makes sense to you. Not, let me tell you, you could wait for such a long time for it to make sense. By then, it's time for you, like, like your time on earth is probably up. It's like you're probably like 120. You're like, yeah, time's up. Now it makes sense to me. You know, it's too late now. So, um, so for us, we need to realize that even if it doesn't make uh, sense, true faith requires action even when it doesn't make sense. So that's the first battle, chapter 6, Jericho. Chapter 7 is the battle at I. Now, here it's a different situation. After they won Jericho, they sent out some spies over to check out what's happening there in Ai. So they sent out some spies, and they're like, oh, there's actually not a lot of people there. It's like, we could easily win this. Let's just send about 2,000, 3,000 troops. We're going to take over this city, not an issue. They went over, and I don't know if you know what happened, but they completely lost the battle. About 36 people died. They got run, ran off. Uh, everybody ran away from the situation. And all of a sudden, like, they were completely defeated. 
So Joshua was like, God, didn't you promise me, like, you know, like, to have the promised land? Like, what happened? What could have happened that we lost that battle, we pretty much got destroyed, um, and we all ran away? What could have happened? And all of a sudden, God revealed to him that there's someone that stole stuff that belonged to God. Someone stole stuff that belonged to God. And the things that were stolen was a robe. I wonder how much that robe cost, but I bet this person regrets it. A robe, silver, and a bar of gold. I wonder how many things we have traded God for that has dangled before us in the world and we thought it was valuable, but there's consequences to it. So a robe, silver, and a bar of gold, and all of a sudden it came up. It was Achan. Achan ended up stealing it. And now we're going to read what the consequences that Achan had for stealing the things that belonged to God, and he took it. Now, it's something that's interesting. Achan thought he was slick. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, yo, voy a coger esta barrita de oro, nadie me va a ver. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to get this bar of gold. No one's going to see me. He hid it, and thinking that no one sees what's going on, you could hide stuff from your mama, from your data. You could hide stuff from your husband, from your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your kids, your parents, your friends, your coworkers. But let me tell you something. You can't hide anything from God. Nothing from God. God sees it all. So here what ends up happening, literally Achan, after they won the battle of Jericho, stole those things that God said belonged to God, said, yo, this is pretty good. I like this promised land thing. I get to steal things from, from, that I see in the journey. He took it, hid it, got caught, and Joshua confronts him, and this is what ends up happening. Joshua chapter 7, verse 24, it says this. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver the robe, the gold bar, with his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, and sheep, his tent, the place where he hid everything, and all that he had, everything that belonged to Achan, to the valley of Achor. Now, here, this valley, the significance of this name is sadness. So just picture, this is a valley of sadness. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? Now, this is interesting too. It's like his sin didn't just impact him, impacted his family, but it didn't stop there. It impacted the entire group of the Israelites. Everybody came for this moment. It wasn't just Joshua and he had a couple of his military guys with him. No, no, no. Everybody stood there and said, what you did has affected everyone, everyone. So we need to also think, it's like in this world, so many times we just think about ourselves. We don't think our actions could affect our children, our family, our church, our job, our community, our coworkers. Like how, what is the domino effect of our sin? So he says, why have you brought this trouble on us? Then he says, 
the Lord will bring trouble on you today. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on the other side of God's trouble. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks. I wonder why they put rocks on top of Achan. To remember. Remember. I didn't mean to say remember again. but <laughs> To remember, stones, are memor- they would build memorials so that we won't forget. So they heaped up a large pile of rocks there, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor, which is sadness ever since. So here, that pile of stones on top of Achan was a constant reminder for everybody in Israel, everybody for generations to come. Whenever they would walk past, they would say, don't steal from the Lord. Don't disobey God. Obey him. And it's amazing how everybody was there. I mean, sometimes we, we, we feel like the Bible, you, you, you might think it's like, there's not much to read. Like, this is action-packed, and it's something that's extremely moving. There's going to be a point behind me that says this, disobedience leads to disaster. Disobedience leads to disaster. Now, something that's amazing, we have, of course, forgiveness in Jesus. And that's something amazing that we could come to God and ask for forgiveness. But his forgiveness and the shedding of his blood is not a license to sin. It's not for us to do whatever we want and then just expect God to forgive us. It doesn't work that way. God is still holy. Jesus died on the cross to provide a way so that we could be forgiven and to be able to come to God. But it doesn't mean that we could be careless and reckless and disobey God and live our lifestyle that's not holy. No one is perfect, but I've said this many times. There's a big difference between someone that's chasing after God, slips and falls, dusts themselves up off, gets up and keeps chasing after God to someone that just keeps falling left and right and doesn't care, keeps sinning left and right and doesn't care, just wanting to live their life, you know how they used to say YOLO, like however you want. It's, that's not, let me tell you, if you, you think you're doing whatever you want here on this side of the earth, <laughs> like on this side, you could say, but there's consequences afterwards. When we stand before God, I know that I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. And I know that everyone here, deep down inside, you want to hear that too. We have a holy God. So there's many lessons that we can learn from the book of Joshua, many spiritual principles. But I'm going to focus on one major theme now, which is how to conquer your own promised land. How to conquer your own promised land. God has given each of us gifts talents, education, experiences, pretty much through our life. He's given, blessed us with things, uh, material things, uh, uh, maybe financially. There's so many different blessings that we have received in our lives. But you know deep down inside that God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for you. He has a promised land, an area for you to reach. 
Now, it might not be a literal, like, land. I mean, if God tells me, he's like, yo, Carlos, I got Cuba, Cuba for you. I'm there, y'all. I want to take over Cuba. You know, like, if he tells me I go there, yo, I know where's any Cubanitos here want to come with me? Yeah, Joel, come on, y'all. Don't leave me by myself. So, uh, so you know, I'm not saying a literal, a literal land, but who knows? You never know. You never know. But we need to realize that there is a place where God wants to bring you spiritually, like emotionally, mentally, a, a place where he, you, could, you know that you're in that niche serving God exactly where he wants you to be, okay? Like there is a place for you to reach to, a promised land to go to, but some of us, we're just comfortable where we're at, we're at and we'd rather stay in Egypt. We'd rather not go to the promised land and go where God has called us to go. And something I want to let you know, too, I believe that the promised land is interwoven with the church, with the body of Christ. It's not like your own little promised land that you do what you want as an individual and it's disconnected from the church. Not at all. Because think about it. The Israelites, they went to the promised land. They all went there together as a family. They all had their roles of what they did, but it was a family together. It's not you doing your own thing disconnected from the church. No, no, you're tied to the church from the standpoint that your destiny is interwoven with the church that God has called you to be a part of. So as you faithfully serve in the church and you use your gifts and talents and get activated, not just sitting in a chair or just listening to it um, through social media, you get activated using your gifts and talents, your experiences, your education. You're able to use what God's given you to reach the promised land he's calling you to go to. But just like the Israelites, there's enemies to conquer in the place that God wants to take us to. There's giants there. And some of us see these giants and enemies and we run away. It's easier for us to stay comfortable in Egypt and not try to win a battle in the promised land that God's leading us to. And when you think about it, why didn't God just give them an empty slate, like a, a promised land with no giants or enemies in it? It's like God wanted them to exercise their faith their trust, and to obey him in the journey. God could have easily said, here's the promised land. No one's there. Take out your sofa, your recliner, your remote control, and just enjoy the promised land. No, no, God's like, no, there's giants there, but you got to trust me that you're going to defeat those giants. But in our lives, there's giants too. And I want you to think, what are some giants you have? Right now, this moment, there's giants that they whisper your name and you shake in your boots. You shake, your knees buckle. Every time you hear the giants mock you and tell you you were not going to be able to accomplish what God has called you to do, all of a sudden, you want to hide in fear. All of a sudden, you want to go back to what you used to do. All of a sudden, you want to go back to Egypt, but God is calling you forward. So what are the giants? I mean, there's many different giants. Fears. Does anyone have any fears in the promised land that God's called us to go to? I know I've had fears. What about doubt? What about your current circumstances that you have right now? You just feel like your current circumstances are so out of whack or there's so many different situations or drama that there's no way that you could go and win the promised land uh, that God's called you to go to. 
What about temptations? What about your past? Some of us feel we've allowed our past to define our present and future. Some of us are stuck in our past, even though time keeps ticking, we're still in our past. And we're not able to move forward. Some of us, it's our insecurities. But I want to let you know, it's not about you. It's about what God could do through you. So your security is in God. Our anchor is in God. I want you to fill in the blank, because I know you can fill in the blank. What's the giant that's speaking to you today? What's an enemy that's keeping you from being involved in the church? What's an enemy that's keeping you from being able to be holy and completely separated, dedicated unto the Lord? What's that giant that's whispering to you that you will not be able to accomplish what God's called you to accomplish? So many times we bow a knee to the giant instead of slaying the giant that God told you he could slay through you. You know how many giants or enemies we've bowed down to through our lives? And behind every giant and enemy, it's really the enemy, Satan and his demons, whispering in our lives and minds. These giants and enemies speak very loudly in our minds and hearts. The fears that try to cripple us and paralyze us when God is telling you to move forward, but yet you feel like you're chained. The reality, the whispers of the enemy have been amplified because you've allowed it to be amplified. You should have just cut the enemy's head off and just kept marching forward, but you let the enemy continue to go from a whisper to a conversation to the enemy shouting at you, and all of a sudden that voice became the voice that you would obey instead of the voice that God wants you to obey. I'm going to give you five action steps on how you can reach and conquer the promised land of your life. The first one is, you can write it down if you have a pen and paper, is don't be left behind. This is important. Don't be left behind. We know that Moses died and a generation died with him. Now, something I do want to let you know that the sin that happened there didn't just affect that generation because we, we quickly say, oh, well, the other generation was able to enter. No, no, no. Think about this. If you were 10 years old and you weren't allowed to, I mean, you were allowed to enter because obviously you weren't part of that generation, you had to wait until you were 50 to enter the promised land. 50. So because of the disobedience of the parents, The younger generation still, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. So if you're 10 years old, for 40 years you're in the wilderness, waiting until your parents' generation dies off so that you could enter this promised land. There's consequences that affect all the generations there as well. Here, something that we need to realize, that generation was disobedient. It was marked by complaining, self-centeredness, lack of faith, attitude, and disobedience. That generation thought it was all about them. 
That generation wasn't about how I could serve. It's about how I could be served. That generation is like, how could things be be done better for me? How could I be comfortable? How could I complain? Like, like, how could I like get what I want if now I'm going to complain? Like, it's not good. And then that generation complained so much that they often stated that they wanted to go back to slavery. Back to slavery because they didn't get it their way. They didn't get it their way. They were self-centered and just wanted everything catered to them. I don't know if any of us might be like that generation. Obviously, we would be quick to say, nah, chill, Carlos. None of us are, none of us complain. No, 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 there's no complaining. I don't, I actually, I don't think I've ever heard any of you guys complain. <laughs> no, 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 I'm joking. Um, I have. Um, but, but, like, you know, complaining, none of us probably have complained. None of us. Uh, have been having lack of faith or choosing disobedience or feeling or, or live self-centered, like everything revolves around you? When, the, when does everything revolve around you and everything has to be catered for you? The church here, we're a family in this journey to conquer the promised land together. We're not a catering service or a country club to make things comfortable for you to have it your way. If that's how you feel church is, honestly, it's, you, you're completely deceived because that's not what church is. That's not what church is. Here's something I, I want to highlight too. Don't be left behind. The journey that took, like that they were there for 40 years in the desert going in circles. 40 years going in circles. Be like, yo, this, this looks the same, yo. Yeah, it's like 40 years. This, I've seen this bodega like 40 years already. You know, it's like they're going in circles for 40 years. Everything looks the same. Uh, obviously, they're going crazy there 40 years. That journey should have taken them 11 days. 11, 11 días. They traded 11 days for 40 years. If they would have just... Think about this. If they would have not complained and had faith, not lack of faith, if they would have changed their attitude about what's happening in their life, and they would have changed from being self-centered to wanting to serve and advance God's kingdom, they would have been in the promised land in 11 days. But no, 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 no. They decided to complain They decided to disobey. They decided to have lack of faith. So God is like, all right, this is your lack of faith. For every day that the spies were checking out the promised land and you didn't believe that this could happen, you're going to go in circles pretty much for 40 years, every day for 40 years. There's a point that's behind me says this. Many believers are going in circles for decades, living in disobedience, missing out on the promises that God has given them. Decades. There's people watching this right now, or maybe someone sitting in this room right now, that you feel like you've been going in circles. I have news for you. You are going in circles. You are in circles. You're in the desert when God wants to bring you to the promised land. He wants to bring you, but you have to obey God and do what takes place. 
The second key action step to get your, um, to conquer the promised land in your life is be anchored in God and his word. I've heard that word anchored this year for some reason, a couple of times during church. Be anchored in God and his word. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, it says this. Be strong and courageous, God was saying, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. I wonder how many times we have to meditate on God's word. I wonder how many times we should open our Bibles during the day. I wonder how many times we should reflect on God. Always on your lips, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. There's a a main point behind me now. It says, being anchored in God and his word leads to prosperity and success according to his will. According to his will. Now, I want to let you know, uh, like even this, prosperity and success is not the way the world sees it. And I was talking to, we were Tony, we were, I was talking to Tony about this this past uh, week. We were on family night. It's not the way the world sees it. The world sees prosperity and success and the amount of money you have or possessions, material things, power, and all that aspect. That's not the way God sees it at all. Of course, he can use those things, but that's not the prosperity and success that I'm referring to. And there's so many times there's other people or churches out there that they, they teach a prosperity gospel. I don't want to go into this too much, but I just want to touch on it. They touch on a prosperity gospel that's not true. Like they touch on aspects that it's like name it and claim it. God wants you rich. You know, just tell the disciples, the ones that were martyred and killed and barely had anything following Jesus, that that's the type of lifestyle uh, he wants us to have. But here, I want you to know what, what it is. Being prosperous means living in the will of God and receiving everything that you need to accomplish his assignments successfully. That is pretty much, being prosperous means living in the will of God and receiving everything that you need to accomplish his assignments successfully. So for your assignment that God has for you, if he needs you to have a lot of money, he's going to provide that money if you obey him. If for the assignment God has for you, if he needs you to have a certain title, he's going to give you that title if that's God's will for your life. God will provide what you need to accomplish your your, uh, task, you could say, the, the assignment he has for you. Whatever it is, he owns everything. So whatever you need to accomplish, to reach and conquer the promised land he has for your life, he's gonna provide that for you. He's gonna provide that for you. And success is doing what God's called us to do. Success is not the way the world sees it is obeying God and doing what God has called us to do. 
All right, the third point is this. Live by faith like Joshua. Live by faith like Joshua. We know that Joshua was one of the 12 spies. Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report saying that we can conquer the promised land. We know that Joshua was Moses' servant for how many years? 40 years as Moses' aide. Faithfully serving at his side until God decided to raise him up. Some of us want to get raised up in our own timeline. No, no, let me tell you. We get raised up when God wants to raise us up. We have to just serve wherever God has placed you to in your life. Wherever it is, you got to serve. Like, I don't care what your role is. Whatever your role, be the very best you could do at that role to honor God and glorify God. And, God, and trust God. God, will, God sees you. God sees you. You trust him. When it's time, it's time. And here, think about it, 40 years, that's a long time, just serving Moses. So here, we know he was his aide for 40 years. He all, all of a sudden, he had a lot of faith because he trusted God. In Joshua chapter 10, there's an amazing miracle. Here, the Israelites are gaining ground, and kings of the land, they're like, yo, these guys are trouble, yo. These guys are no joke. We better unite so that we would be able to attack them and attack anyone that they, they might have alliances with and so on. You could read the story. And all of a sudden, there's a battle that's happening, but the sun is starting to go down. And Joshua knows. Joshua knows that he needs the sun to shine for the army to be successful because in his heart, he wanted to destroy the enemy. So what does Joshua do? He turns to God and he prays and he commands the sun and the moon to stay still. He commands the sun and the moon to stay still. He sa- it says this, sun, stand still over G- Gibeon and you moon over, over the valley of Asia, Jalan. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. Think about that faith. That faith, you're in the middle of battle and you're like, what am I going to do? You look at the sun and you look at God and you pray and you say, sun, stay still. Moon, stay still. And for almost a whole day, it stayed still. And they won that battle. I wonder in the beginning if I would have asked you when you came in and if I would have done a little survey, be like, yo, I got a little survey, a couple little questions for you. And I would have asked you, it's like, yo, could God do anything? Yeah, 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 God could do anything. Yo, God's dope. You know, I ask you, it's like, do you believe, do you believe in God? Yeah, 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 I believe in God. Yo, he's my man. You know, like, I believe him. You know, it's, it, it's like, do you believe God could do the impossible? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you could say, yeah. I believe everyone here would have said, yes, 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 yes. How do you pray? How do you pray? How do you walk in faith in your life? It's one thing to know it in your mind. It's another one to take action in it. When was the last time you thought of telling the sun or the moon to stay still? Joshua was a man of faith. 
when we pray, it's going to be a point behind me. We have to believe God for the impossible. We just have to believe God for the impossible. What happens in our lives is that we've been tainted by so many circumstances as we go through the journey, and the older we get, the harder sometimes it is, that we allow what we've been tainted with become our filter on how we pray and we walk in faith and believe God. We have to change that filter. And that's why God tells Joshua, you got to read God's word every day, meditate on it, keep it on your lips, because everyone's, the whole world is trying to give you a filter. The whole world. People at work are trying to give you a filter. People in the media are trying to give you a filter. People you don't know are trying to give you a filter. Your filter has to be God's word and believe for the impossible. The fourth action step is this. Miracles happen when you keep God always before you in faith. Miracles happen when you keep God always before you in faith. In Joshua chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, it says this. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. Now, consecrate means like to dedicate yourself to God and take anything that doesn't belong away from you, okay? And it says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, even even think about this. Before God could do these amazing things, we have to be separated in holiness in obedience. Think about that too. Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I'm with you now as I am with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. So here... You, you have a situation. This is in the beginning when they're about to go into the promised land. And you think that you would want all the military, the buffest guys, the strongest guys to be in the front. You know, of course, I'll be there. Yo, look at my muscles. No, I'm joking. But uh, all of a sudden, it's like you would want like the strongest army uh, like to be in the front. But no, no, the Ark of the Covenant goes first, representing God's presence. You're going to go into battle Without God going before you, you are defeated. So he said the Ark of the Covenant goes first, but now there's a situation. They have to cross the Jordan River, and there's going to be a picture behind me just for you to get an idea of what the Ark of the Covenant looks like and the Jordan uh, River. So all of a sudden, they have the Ark of the Covenant, and there it was the flood stage, if you read uh, the passage. It was like a roaring river. Like, everyone knows if you come near it, you could actually die and get swept away. And literally, he said the way it commanded, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's river, go and stand in the river. God didn't say, go stand in the river because I'm going to part it, okay? I'm going to do my part. Just go stand. No, no, I said, go stand in the river. I guarantee you that there's certain people in that group that are like, I don't know if this is a good idea. Like, you know what I mean? All of a sudden, they're carrying this, the priest leading the way, and they have to step in the flood waters of the river. And as they step into the river, then it parts. Sounds familiar to the Red Sea, but now it's the Jordan River. It parts just like Moses for Joshua, but they had to step in faith in the moment of fear, in the moment 
of chaos, you could say, in the moment of the unknown, in the moment of the mystery, they had to trust God even when it didn't make sense, leading God's presence ahead of them for victory. It doesn't make sense, but we need to realize miracles happen when you keep God always before you in faith. What's leading your life right now? Something's leading your life. What's leading your life right now? If God's presence is not going before you in your life, you're not going to conquer the promised land that he has for you. What's leading your life? Your money is? You think your money is going to take you far? Your education, your career, your connections, your power, who you know, what you can do, your work, your ambition, your passion, your family. All those things, I mean, God gave you all those things, but they're not going to get you to the place to conquer the promised land. It's only God and his presence. Who's leading your life right now? Someone's leading it. And don't be quick to say it's God if you haven't really spent time with them. Because last time I checked, when someone's leading you, you have to be listening. They're guiding you. They're whispering. They're leading you. Lastly, last point. To conquer the promised land is choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. In Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 to 15, it says this. This is the last chapter of the book of Joshua. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. I, I even love that, with all faithfulness. You know, like, it's, it's not like he, he mentions anything else, like being faithful to him. But then he continues, he says this, to be faithful. Throw away the gods of your, the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. So obviously, many people there, they were trying to serve God, but kept the gods from Egypt as well. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, if, if you just don't want to do it, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But then Joshua says this statement, which is so powerful. It's a statement that should rock your inner soul and your being throughout your heart and mind. Think about it. He says this to the entire group of the Israelites. He says this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He just drew the line. He's like, look, I don't know what you're going to decide. If it's undesirable for you, it's up to you, whatever you want. But as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. That is such a powerful statement. What, like, Joshua is a man of faith, realizing that there's a lot of whispers, a lot of drama of people saying they want to do this or that. People saying, I want to go back to Egypt. People saying, I want to worship other gods. It's like, you know what? It's like Joshua just drew the line, um, line on the sand, and he pretty much just said, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's like you can't serve two gods at the same time. You can't have your foot in the world and your foot chasing after God. You just can't. It's not. You think you can. 
but you can't. And Josh drew the line on the sand, and then this is something I want us to realize. It's just a point right behind me. You cannot love God and idols at the same time. You might wonder, what is an idol? You might think it's like a statue. No, no, no. So, it's so, so much more than that. It starts in the heart. A pastor once says, said, it starts in the heart, craving, wanting, enjoying, being satisfied, satisfied by anything you treasure more than God. That is an idol. That is an idol. It could be money, possessions, titles. It could be your family. As good as your family is and what a blessing your family is, if your family comes before God, it's an idol. God deserves number one spot. That's it. He's in competition with no one. The moment you put anything in competition with God, you're creating an idol. Families, culture. So many times we bow to culture. Culture says something is right when the Bible says it's wrong. We go with the culture many times. The culture says it's okay. The Bible says it's wrong. We're like, oh, so many Christians. Oh, but the culture, let me go where everyone wants me to go. But the Bible clearly says it's wrong. We bow to the idol of culture. We listen and respond to what culture says is right and wrong instead of what the word of God says. Our comfort. We bow to the idol of comfort. We think it's all about us self-centeredness. We think that we need to be catered to, that everything revolves around us. That is not the heart of God. God came to serve and not to be served. Why do we think that we should be served when God's our example? Pleasure, lust, and ourselves. Some questions that you could even ask yourself is this, do I love or treasure anything or anyone more than God? Do I prioritize anything or anyone before God? Does anyone bring me more pleasure than the things of God? Do I place my identity in anything over my status of a child of God? Do I look to anything or anyone to meet my needs instead of God? I believe that today... It's just like the day where Joshua said, choose this day who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I believe today is a day that God's presence, of course, he's everywhere at all times. But I believe it's a day that today is marked, a day to remember, a day where we realize that we need a choice to be made within our hearts, a day that we realize that We've been going in circles in the desert, in the wilderness for years, and we're wondering what's wrong, and it's that, that you're just going in circles doing the same thing. I believe it's a day that we will decide to be faithful to God and to conquer the promised land that he's given us to conquer like never before. Everyone received a stone and just like they did in the book of Joshua, I know in my life, and I believe in 
many of yours, if not all of yours, is a day to remember. With every head bowed. Father God, as we're gathered here, there's many different things that have been said. But without question, you're drawing us to a deeper commitment to you. If God has touched your heart, if he's challenged you to surrender everything, if you want to dedicate yourself to be obedient to him, to not waste your life and go in circles in the wilderness anymore, but to pursue him to conquer the promised land that he has for you. Life is short. And I just know that I just want to spend every ounce in pursuit to honor my king. If you're here today and you just want to surrender, I'm just going to even invite you to come forward. You can lay your stones here at the altar. You can put it on the stage. Or you could even stand to your feet at this moment. Father God, we thank you for this day. Father God, right now we come before you and we just surrender everything to you. We just bow down before you, God, just the way Joshua knelt down before you, just wanting to hear your voice and your command. God, whatever you command, we will follow. God, forgive us for chasing after so many things that the world dangles in front of us. Forgive us for having so many idols in our lives, Lord God, and bowing down and chasing after things that leave us empty. God, forgive us for not stepping into the promised land in faith and God allowing ourselves due to the different things, our sin, our disobedience, our complaining, our, our attitude, we've kept ourselves going in circles in the desert. God, it's broken today, God. We humbly come and ask for forgiveness. We come ask for redirection. Help us, show us the way so that we can start walking to the promised land that you have for us to walk in. God, we commit to your heart, mind, soul, our spirit, God. Set us apart. Make us holy as you are holy, Lord God. Lord God, we just give you everything, God, and we honor you. And we've laid down these stones so that we could even remember this action, that today was a point, a marker of a decision that we made in our lives to follow you like never before. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you. Enjoy your Sunday. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.